word? Good, all right. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your word is supernatural, Lord, and it's designed to lift us up, to strengthen us, to feed us spiritually. I thank you, Lord, it's also designed to uh, help us and propel us forward. It's designed to give us revelation. It's designed to help to solidify our, our identity. It's designed to help us to make good and wise choice, choices. It's also designed, Lord, to help us to cut off anything that uh, will hold us back. So, Father, we thank you that your word is designed to strengthen your body. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. Well, this morning I want to bring a word called change agent. Is there anyone here who would like to see some change in your life? Okay, uh, you know, I ask that question a lot of times wherever I go uh, in ministry or business. I will always ask, uh, what kind of change are you wanting uh, in uh, or believing for? <clears throat> and I find, you know, most people in life, if you're a human being and you're alive, you're believing or hoping for some level of change. Um, and I think the reality of that is because we just, we, we live in, in a broken world. We live in a world where things aren't perfect and we live in a world where there's resistance, there's uh, difficulties, there's challenges, there's hindrances to what we're believing for or hoping for or working towards. And so at whatever level of capacity, there's always some desire or hope for change in certain situations or circumstances. And I think that's just the reality of being a human being. So wanting change is a good thing. And this morning I want to talk about um, how we can respond to that desire for change and how we can put certain steps in place to help us to align to the Word of God so that we can see change where we're desiring change. And the Bible teaches that deferred hope makes the heart grow sick. That means that when you're hoping and hoping for something to happen, and a good example of that is, is change in some level, um, and that hope continues and change never comes, there's actually a consequence, a negative consequence, where it can cause your heart to grow sick. It can, it can weaken faith. It can uh, create more frustration. It can sometimes cause us to, to lose vision, all these, all these things. And so it's important for us to navigate properly when we're believing for change. And I wanted to start this morning when it comes to the word change agent. One of my favorite words to talk about in life is responsibility. Uh, I love the word responsibility, and you've probably heard me mention this many times because when you look at that word, partly one of the definitions or the derivatives of that word is the ability to respond. If you're taking notes, I would like you to write that down for me. The ability to respond. And when you look at our society, have you noticed that uh, sometimes people, unfortunately, will ignore their responsibilities? And when they ignore their responsibilities or they don't acknowledge their ability to respond, there's usually something that helps them to fall into that. And that is that they, they focus on blaming something else for the situation or the reason why something is or the reason why something isn't, rather than focusing on what they can do to help to activate their ability to respond. And so we're going to look at how this theme of responsibility and the agent of change is very much aligned to, uh, to God's word and how God wants us to align to him and his, and his word to be better at responding or having the ability to respond so we can partner with him to bring change into certain situations. So a couple of examples where, you know, I, I, like, to, I like to use, use the, the word excuses, right? The word excuses is something that I like to use to describe when, when there's evidence 
that someone is not really stepping into their ability to respond, they will actually make an excuse. So an excuse is something that causes someone to focus on something else to blame rather than actually taking responsibility or focusing on their ability to respond. So an example might be, um, if I get into financial trouble, it's not my fault. It's because um, you know I have the ability to get easy credit and I have three credit cards and the banks just, you know, they're not really helping me to manage my credit or my debt or it's just too easy for me to get credit cards and, you know, the government needs to do something uh, with the banks to regulate them more so I don't get so much into debt. Has anyone heard that before? Uh, you know, if someone uh, is smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and then they end up getting lung cancer, then it's like, well, I really need to sue the cigarette companies because, you know, it's their fault uh, for making me addicted to cigarettes and that's caused me to get lung cancer. Has anyone heard that before? Um, or if I get into a rage and I grab... Um, you know, I, I form a fist and then I punch someone. Um, it's their fault because they caused me to become really, really angry. Has anyone heard that before? So <clears throat> we know uh, that there are these kind of cycles of blame. And so, uh, you know, whether you can relate directly to those examples or you can think about examples of in, in your life right now, what are some areas where you know God is encouraging you to kind of focus more on how you could respond? But maybe, just maybe, uh, there's some areas where you're focusing more on the, the reasons why or why not. And those things become a distraction causing you not to focus on partnering with God to help you to break through, which is what the change agent is that we're talking about today. So as a society, we've actually become really good at blaming others for where we're at. So I want to start with this little exercise. And I want to start with this scripture here. Romans chapter 14 Verse 12. Everyone say Romans 14, 12. So write that down if you want to refer to that later. Romans 14, 12 says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So God is going to hold us to account, accountability, linked to the word responsibility. He's going to hold us responsible for what? He's going to hold us responsible for the choices, everyone say choices, that we make. Who believes that? Okay, so a little bit of a way to illustrate this, and then I'll cement that by applying it to how it relates to us. So the way to illustrate this, that God's going to hold us accountable for our choices, and that's why for us to change or see change in our world, we have to take on this thing called the ability to respond responsibility. There was a story several years ago about twin sisters who had an alcoholic mother. Now, one of them became an alcoholic, but the other didn't drink at all. And when the alcoholic one was asked why, she said, well, my mother was an alcoholic, so what can you expect? And when the other was asked why she wouldn't drink, she said this, well, my my mother was an alcoholic, so what do you expect? So who can see in that example there, if we illustrate that now, you can see that the choice is ours. If I say that more directly, the choice is yours. You choose your path. You choose your journey. And uh, where you are right now is based on the choices that you've made. Now, we know that sometimes there are circumstances that impact us, our environment impacts us, but who knows that we can't blame those circumstances for the rest of our life. Particularly, we invite God into our world, who God is the king change agent. 
He's the miracle working God. He's the God of breakthrough. He's the God of the shift. He's the God of the transition. He's the God of the transaction where he takes your weaknesses and he gives you his strength. When you invite the God of miracles, the God who is the God of change agent, the author of your life, the creator of your life, the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, who knows that when we partner with that God, it enables us, it encourages us, it empowers us to have the ability with God to respond. Is anyone here with me? And so one big thing that I think is really relevant to a man or a woman of God, when we partner with God, we invite God is, is that you and I have to keep working at not allowing the blame game to dictate our world. The more we hang on to this thing called blaming people, blaming situations, blaming the past, blaming other things that people haven't done or have done to us, the more we hang on to this, the less able we're able to reach out to God and to partner with Him. So it's important that we we get this thing and we embrace this thing called responsibility. So to activate this, I want everyone to repeat after me. Is everyone ready to, to, to do this? Yeah? I want everyone to say this. I am responsible for where I am. I am responsible for where I'm going. And I am responsible for where I will end up. With God, nothing is impossible. So we know with God, when we partner with God, but notice it's with God. It's not God by himself without us. It's with God, nothing is impossible. If there's a with God, who's with God? You. Because you're with God, the miraculous God, the the eternal God, the breakthrough God, the change-aging God, with God, when you partner with God, you don't have any excuse. So when a Christian continues to walk in this land of excuse-making, it means they're choosing not to partner with God. See, when you hang on to the blame, you're not able to grab onto God. Think about it. Because that is the antidote to faith. What is the one thing that pleases God? Faith. Faith without works is? So when you hang on to the blame game called doubt, you're not able to activate faith and reach out and partner with God, and it actually creates a restriction in your ability to break through and partner with God, because with God, all things are possible. I want to share this with you this morning with love. Where you're at is your responsibility. Where you're going is your responsibility. Where you're going to end up is your responsibility. It's your ability to respond to God. And as a church, we're called to have a vision to see people take responsibility. There is a very strong mark of maturity 
that I see on people. And therefore, there's the opposite of that. There's a mark of immaturity. Now, as a house, we're called to love. There are times when people come in, they're very new to the things of God, and therefore, they're still on milk, and they're lacking maturity. And there's a season where people lack maturity, but God wants to shift them into a place of maturity. The Bible talks about the journey of feeding off milk and then starting to feed on meat. Who's, who knows that, okay? And so what's important is, is that a mark of maturity is the ability to respond. So the mark of immaturity is when we keep blaming things and we don't take responsibility. Everyone, I want everyone to say this, the mark of maturity. So in every, in every heart of a believer, they have a desire to be mature. Everyone wants to grow. Everyone wants to break through. Everyone wants to, to grow in the things of God, to be fruitful. But sometimes we misunderstand this key thing of the mark of maturity. What's a sign, evidence, a cure, a clue of us starting to step into a place of maturity? It's about being able to take responsibility. So as a pastor, as a leader, whether it be in ministry, church, business, family life, I'm always looking for it. It's not because I'm, you know, head guru. It's because God's taught me this. Mentors have taught me this. I've been through the same testing. I'm still being tested. I have people who I'm held accountable to. I always look for evidence of the ability for people to take responsibility because it's a sign of maturity. I'll tell you a story. I've shared this before. I was dating Sarah. And, um, you know, anyone knows the, the journey of me dating Sarah? When I first started dating Sarah, Greg and Julie didn't like the idea because I had a past, right? I wasn't a pastor's kid. And it's not that they didn't have grace for me, but they were wise people. And so they knew that when people who had a past as full on as I did, uh, sure, Jesus can, can, can come in and, and uh, nothing is impossible with God. But also they knew there was going to have to be a navigational journey where I'm going to have to be tested with God to break through the things that I got myself caught into. Who knows that sometimes when you're walking out this journey of salvation, it's not easy, right? So they, they were wise and they knew that. So they weren't 100% keen, were they, hun? When I declared my interest in Sarah. There was a defining turning point where uh, one night I was driving Sarah's car who um, Greg and Julie had paid for that car and you were, you were paying them back, is that right? But they had paid for this car. It was a purple Ford Fiesta. Her car was nicer than my car at the time. And so I was... Didn't I have a car? No wonder it was nicer. And uh, so... <laughs> I'm driving the Ford Fiesta and Sarah's in the passenger seat and I'm driving the Ford Fiesta and we're going to a movie or something like that. And um, I was too busy flirting with Sarah, so I wasn't paying attention and we stopped at the traffic lights and the, uh, you know, the guy in front, of, uh, I thought was going to start turning and, and he didn't and so I do and I smashed the Ford Fiesta in the back of this other car. And we turned off to the side of the road and we got out of the car. I mean, it was pretty pranged up, right? It was decent. It was obvious. You couldn't hide that. <laughs> you couldn't blame anyone else. And um, so anyway, we got straight on the phone and you told them what had happened. And then I think we, we, the, the date just pretty much got canned and we, drew, we drove straight back home, right? And uh, as we, we get, uh, we, I, I, I never forget it. I remember the moment Sarah touches the doorknob to open the door. And as the door opens, I walk in behind her and I go... And I'm walking down the hallway and I'm about to turn around where the kitchen is where I know Greg and Julie are sitting. And oh my goodness, 
It's like there was massive like bullfrog in my throat. Like <clears throat> most people know that I can talk underwater. It was like, it's like, and I went around the corner, and uh, God said to me, "This, you're either gonna make this moment count, or you're gonna stuff it up." <laughs> I said, "God, what do I do?" He said, "Just take 100% responsibility. Own it." So I walked straight up to Greg. And I said, Greg, before they could even speak, <laughs> Greg, I just want you to know that it was 100% my fault. I take full responsibility. Whatever finances need to be paid, I'm going to pay it. I'm really sorry for uh, crashing the car. It was completely my fault. I think I said a couple more other sentences. I embellished a lot more. I kind of repeated myself a couple of times. You probably noticed I like to do that just to make sure I hammered the point home. And they just sat there. They didn't say anything. They went, And then there was this one moment, and Greg just said one word to me, and he said, good. <laughs> and it was in that one word that I had a turning point. Uh, not just in their life, but also in my life. I'll tell you another quick story. Uh, one of the, this was a, a, about 18 months before this. I had a mentor in our old church, a church that we were raised up in, and uh, uh, they had like a life, ha- life house program where different people kind of went in and they had like a boy's house and a, and a girl's house. So I was in the boy life house and we had a mentor assigned. And <clears throat> Anyway, cut a long story short, I moved out of this life house and I moved into the mentor's house. And it was kind of a period where I was trying to save money and uh, trying to kind of turn my life around practically. And uh, there was a situation where I needed to borrow uh, some money from my mentor. And my mentor um, and his wife, they were doing pretty well. He was a very successful engineer and, and uh, you know, they had a nice house. And so I was trying to get an understanding of how to break through and just being a steward of my finances. And he was very, very good with that. So uh, there came a situation where I needed, I needed money. And I, and I, you know, I wasn't one to kind of ask for money a lot, but I just reached out to him. I said, look, uh, I need to borrow $500. And it was for a good reason. I said, it's blah, 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 blah. And he could see that it was, you know, about me making a decision to try and invest in my future. He said, okay, great. I'll give you $500, but this is the deal. You need to pay it by, back by this date. I said, no worries. I'll, I'll sort that out. And so <clears throat> it gets to that date, and uh, he doesn't say anything, and I, I, I didn't pay him back because I hadn't quite planned it properly, and I get, didn't get the money together. So I didn't say anything, and he didn't say anything. So a week goes by, and then he texts me. He says, hey, I want to have a chat. And so I thought, okay, all right. So he pulls me aside and says, hey. Uh, you're supposed to pay me $500 by this date and uh, you haven't said anything and uh, I haven't seen the money. What's going on? My response was, oh, well, what was my response? I went into excuse land. See, excuse land is fun, right? Excuse land was, oh, well, I've been busy and I didn't quite get um, the money together. So, And he goes, okay, so what do you think is the solution? I said, well, if you can give me maybe um, another month, uh, that'd be great. And he said, uh, no. No, I'm not going to give you another month. He said, you need to step up and you need to take responsibility. You haven't honored your word. And this is an opportunity for you to step up into your manhood and honor your word. And so you're going to pay me the $500 by next weekend. You have one week. I know you can do it. I know how much you earn. You can do it. So no more excuses. Make it happen. All right? And I went, okay. Okay. Now, 
What was my instant reaction? I walked away going, gee, that wasn't really grace. <laughs> Caused himself a mentor in the church. Didn't give me much grace. That wasn't love. Can I tell you, that was probably one of the strongest examples of love that I encountered in my whole Christian walk. That alone was probably one of the biggest uh, moments that shifted me into stepping up in life. Because someone who loved me enough to call me out on my habit of making excuses and not honoring my word, called me out and challenged me to step up and to turn around. So, what's the point to all this? God's interested in our ability to respond. He wants us to grow in this. He wants us to keep growing in this until we leave this earth. And guess what? We'll probably have to keep growing in this as we're in heaven as well, because we're going to be given assignments in heaven too, amen? So let's look at this thing called responsibility. If we look at <clears throat> Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 23, declares, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I used to be really good at talking about things. Talking about how I'm going to you know, do this and make this happen or get this done and break through here. See, we can do a lot of the Christian talk. Who knows that? Right? But we've got to grow into that place of aligning our actions to what we're saying we're going to do and honor our word because that's a true test of maturity. And what's great about that is you are rewarded when you're able to start to show and glean that ability to respond. To illustrate this, the ancient Romans had a tradition. Whenever one of their engineers constructed an ark, so an ark to do with uh, weaponry and architecture, particularly with architecture, so like a capstone with a particular bridge uh, or the final center stone, when it was hosted into place, the engineer assumed responsibility for the design and for the work. How did the engineer in Roman times assume responsibility? How did they activate the ability to respond? Well, in the most profound way possible. And that was they stood on top of the arch. So they actually put their life at risk they said, hey, I'm going to take responsibility to make sure that this is designed properly. This particular part of the bridge or the structure is safe because of my design. And I'm going to test it by standing on top of it. Who thinks that that's a good example of taking responsibility? So let me ask you this question. And I want to say this delicately. Everyone say delicately. How many of us can stand on the arch of the different areas of our life knowing that it will be secure. How many of us can stand on the arch of our marriage knowing that we've taken responsibility investing into it? How many here can stand on the arch of their finances? Now, I know that God is the foundation of everything. But again, sometimes God or this thing called faith in God, can become an excuse for why we're not practically walking out his principles. See, with God, nothing is impossible. With God and his principles, walking it out by faith works. Faith without works is dead. 
faith, talking, 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 and not following through with what we say we're going to do, is dead. It's not secure. It's not fruitful. It doesn't create a strong foundation. We build our life on the rock, the revelation of Jesus, but we carry it through with actually applying the principles. Can I say that everything I'm saying right now is just another way of, of saying what that mentor said to me that day? Where do we need to step up? Can I say to you that this is the, this is the talk that every father should have with their children when they're in their teenage years? So if you never encountered that, that's okay. But receive it in this way, this word coming from the word, coming from Holy Spirit t- today. You know, it's our prayer and our vision of, of Forever House that every member of this place, every member of this house can stand on the arch of the different spheres of their life with security, knowing that they've been applying the principles of God. Now, you may be in a season right now where you can pinpoint a couple of uh, areas in your life where you could stand on the arch and you could go, you know what? There's some strength here because I've applied these principles. And maybe there's some other areas where you think, you know what? That arch might crumble a little bit. Well, there's some good news today. By acknowledging the arches that are weak, that's the first sign of breakthrough. When you acknowledge that you have the ability to respond and that those arches are your responsibility. And if some of those arches are not weak and maybe you need to focus on applying some principles of God and pray to the Lord and ask Him to step in and to partner with Him because nothing is impossible with God, well, that's a first sign of taking responsibility. That's a first example and evidence of going to a new level of maturity in that area of your life rather than blaming the reason why or why not, why it's not strong. Why is the marriage not strong? Because... My person I'm married to, you know, is this or that. No. What are you doing about your marriage? What do you need to do differently? Let's have a look at Scripture and how this relates. Even the very first people that God created on the earth, Adam and Eve. God did not create Adam and Eve to let them do anything that they pleased. They had responsibilities. And he wanted to see and test their ability to respond. Adam and Eve had the first recorded job description. They had garden responsibilities. Everyone say garden responsibilities. So they they were called in Genesis 2.15. They were asked to tend and take care of all of the plants. And in Genesis 2.17, they were asked to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God wanted to see what is their level of ability to respond to what I'm asking them to do and to not do. They also had animal responsibilities. In Genesis 2.19, they were asked to name and care for every animal. In Genesis 2.24, they were given marital responsibilities to become one with another without shame. And what happened when they broke those responsibilities? They were ejected from the Garden of Eden. And they missed out on God's best. Now, what I love about the Word of God and what I love about the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament is in the New Testament, we have this freedom in the grace of God and we have the enduring mercy of God who enables us to come into that place of forgiveness when we stuff up, when we make mistakes. But what I love about good, sound, honest, balanced teaching is that we all have the ability to respond to the grace of God. We all have the ability to respond to the mercy of God. The grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God is not an excuse why we're allowed to keep messing up. See, if we keep messing up, guess what? God will give us grace 
to start afresh again. But the key here is that he hasn't designed grace or mercy to be that's the way that we respond. He's designed his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness so that it empowers us to respond appropriately and to step up and to make some changes, a change agent. His grace, his forgiveness, his mercy in itself is an agent of change for you and I. Any man or woman of God that convinces themselves that the grace of God is a reason why they don't have to make changes in their world is deceived. They're not living in the truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Truth is this. The grace of God will always be bounding towards you, but it is designed. What's the purpose for the grace of God? Is the purpose of the grace of God to give you an excuse to keep living the way you want to live? No. The grace of God is designed to reach down to you when you're in that place of brokenness and to pull you out and go, you know what? You're bigger and better than this. Now it's time to step up. And if you trip over again, that hand reaches down to you and pulls you out again and again and again. But the grace of God is not designed for you to live in that place of brokenness. It's not designed to give you an excuse to stay in that place of brokenness. Jesus himself said to the cripple, Pick up your mat and walk. Step up. Take responsibility and therefore you will be healed. Activate your faith and the breakthrough will come. Shift out of blame and excuses into taking responsibility. With God, with God, nothing is impossible. I want to share, just to help us to lock this in a little bit, another scripture around responsibility and the agent of, agent of change is Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. I just want to read that, and then we want to break down a couple of principles and, and finish on this particular scripture today. Who's still with me? Awesome. Philippians 2. Verses 12 to 16. I think I said 13 to 16. I want to go 12 to 16. What I love about some versions of the Bible is this particular part of Scripture, they have a subtitle. This one's coming from, I believe this is the New King James Version. It might be the New Living, uh, uh, the New Living Translation. But the subtitle is, Do Everything Without Grumbling. Do Everything... Without grumbling. What's grumbling? What's another example of grumbling? Making excuses. Murmuring and complaining about why something is or why something isn't. Which becomes a thing to distract you from having the ability to respond and to take responsibility. Do everything without grumbling. Verse 12. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Watch, you know, this is interesting. Where well, this is the Apostle Paul. Who knows that when someone is lacking maturity, if there's a person of authority with them, they might take responsibility. But if someone's lacking maturity, when that person of authority becomes absent, the person who lacks maturity starts to falter on their responsibilities, falter on their commitment. Who's heard the saying, when the cat's away, the mice will? Let's do that again. When the cat's away, the mice will? So a sign of lacking maturity, 
a sign of not having the ability to respond, is that when that person of accountability in your world or your life, whether it be at work, if they're not there, do you slack off? When that spiritual mentor is not there, do you slack off? When your pastor's not at church, do you not go to church? Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. When your wife's not there, mm. When your husband's not there, mm. When your parents' not there, mm. When your teacher's not there, mm. When your boss is not there, your supervisor's not there, mm. When strict old Auntie May is not there, mm. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Apostle Paul, not only when I'm around, but now much more in my absence. When you respond to the word of God in obedience, not just because I'm hanging around, holding you accountable, making sure you take responsibility, but now much more in my absence. Come on now. The word of God is challenging us. God's looking for people to take responsibility. Not just to take responsibility in life or in their walk with God when someone of, of accountability is hanging around, but also to take responsibility when that person of accountability isn't hanging around. That's a sign of maturity. But now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's verse 12. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're going to look at that in a second. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What this is saying is Paul's saying, one of my biggest assignments is to encourage you and to train you and to disciple you to be people who take responsibility. Because if you do that, you glorify God and everything I'm working for doesn't become a waste of time because you're strengthening, you're becoming mature people of God. So he was passionate about this. So the Bible in this particular scripture talks about life transformation and change. For many of us, we all desperately want to change. But why is it sometimes we see so little of it personally at times in our life? Everyone say why. I think first of all, what we want to do is we want to deal with what I call faulty assumptions. Turn the person next to you and go, let's deal with some faulty assumptions. Okay, here we go. Some myths about change. Some myths about responsibility. Let's deal with this. First one. There's a myth out there that life change or change happens at salvation. Now, does some change happen at salvation? Yes. Do we become born again? Yes. But if we go back to the scripture here, in the second part of verse 12, Paul says, continue, continue, continue to work out your salvation. Doesn't mean you need to work for your salvation, 
But you have to work it out. You have to walk it out. You have to discipline and exercise your salvation. We'll talk about this in a second more. But let me illustrate this. There's this comedian called Yakov Smirnov. I don't think he's got anything to do with uh, the, the vodka, but he is from Russia. Comedian Yakov Smirnov says that when he first came to the United States from Russia, he wasn't prepared for the incredible variety of instant products available in the American grocery stores. This is what he says. He says on his first sh- shopping trip, he saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. And then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. What's the point? One of the most basic assumptions about life change is that it just happens instantly at salvation. People come to Christ and think that by being a Christian, that their habits, their attitudes, their character will just change immediately. Since Christ alters a person's eternal destiny at salvation, yes, they become born again. They become born of the Spirit of God. Their spirit becomes perfect and partnered with, the, with God. But immediate life changes can't just be assumed. There may be some things that immediately change, but not everything will immediately change. That's why the Bible teaches us to continue the transformation of our mind, the renewal of our mind. There's going to be some habits. So there is a myth out there. Because I'm saved, my whole, my whole life is just dramatically changed and everything's just fantastic and right and I don't have to do anything. Everyone respond to this. Yeah. That is a myth. You've got to work out your salvation. You don't have to work for your salvation. You're saved not by works, but by the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ. You're eternally bought by the price of the blood of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the truth. Amen. But in relation to that, you also have to work out your salvation. You have to work things into being. You have to work your identity of Christ into being. It takes work. Everyone say work. It takes discipline. Everyone say discipline. That's why we call it discipleship. Everyone say ooh. Everyone say ah. So life doesn't all change just because of salvation. It's a starting point. And we're eternally bought as a price. We go to heaven. Yes, we have eternal life. As long as we uh, stay in that repentant place and we have a heart before Jesus. But we have to work out our salvation. Second myth is life change continues naturally over time. We'll just always be keeping changing over time. And because of that, people think, well, if you're a five-year-old Christian you will have five years' worth of spiritual maturity. And if you're a 10-year-old Christian, you'll have 10 years' worth of spiritual maturity and so on. The assumption is that faith cannot help but grow with time, and it is time alone that is required. Everyone say, eh. There are some people who've been Christians for 20 years, and they haven't grown in the last 18. There's some people who've been Christian for 15 years. In the last seven years, they're less Christian than they were in the first eight. There's some people who've been Christian for two years. And they've read the Bible less than the first month of their salvation. Come on now. Just because we gave our heart to Jesus, so that doesn't mean we just automatically grow. We've got to feed our faith. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to work it out. Like in the gym, we've got to build those faith muscles. We've got to build the Word of God and build the presence of God and build our relationship with God. We've got to partner with God. We've got to work. We've got to take responsibility. We've got the ability to respond. It's not just going to happen like magic. That's why it's called discipleship. That's why it's a big value here about us making disciples. Bringing the word balance, not just sugarcoating everything and making it taste like Cocoa Pops. Who knows that the gospel is not 
supposed to be fed like it's Cocoa Pops? Come on, if you, feed your, if you fed your kid Cocoa Pops every day, how many trips would they have to have to the dentist? Come on now. Who knows that a kid likes a taste of cereal when it tastes like Cocoa Pops more than just normal cereal without any sugar? But who knows that without sugar, it's much better for them? Right. The Word of God is true. Sometimes we've got to bring the, the Word in, in, in challenge. Second, third myth. Life change is achieved largely by an act of the will. The idea is that what, you know, what doesn't happen naturally over time will take place if I just try, if I just keep trying harder. Well, you know what? Your willingness, your desire, uh, effort, yes, that's important. But also, can I say that it's not so much trying, but it's more training. There's so many Christians that are trying so hard. And they're wondering why. Come on now. Don't lose me in this moment. It's a key key. It's a key key. <laughs> key key. So many Christians are no trying so hard. Try, I'm just trying. Transition away from trying to training. That's right. You could try to lift 300 kilos. Who knows to do that? You have to train. Right? Trying to run a marathon. Get to 10K, it's like, bye-bye. You've got to train. I'm just trying so hard to be a Christian. I'm just trying so hard to break through. Quit trying. Start training. The harder we try, people think the more we grow. No, the more focused we are on coming up with a training plan spiritually, the Word of God is your greatest weapon. How much do you invest in it and to use it? Another myth, life change is best accomplished alone. The myth is a personal relationship with Christ has become synonymous with a private relationship with Christ. Just get alone with God. Have personal devotion time, private retreats, and one's life will automatically change. Everyone's like, eh. One of the greatest reasons why you will change is because you invite teachers into your life. You're teachable. You're coachable. You actually want to hang around people who've broken through in areas that you need to break through. You want to hang around with people who partner with God to strengthen an arch where your arch is weak. And you want to model your arch design off their design. That's not actually their design. It's just something they've aligned with God or had another mentor that's aligned with God. Do you know Ecclesiastes says there's nothing, nothing new under the sun? I had someone in business say to me the other day after they spent a whole day with me, can I just say that just you're amazing? And I said, can I actually can I say, first of all, thanks for the feedback. Can I, can, I just, can I just have a real moment with you? Everything I've taught you is nothing that I've created myself. Everything I've taught you comes from other people. I, and I didn't directly quote scripture, but I said, you know, there's a saying. And I actually said it comes from the Bible. And there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that I've trained you on, I've actually learned from other people. So thank you for the feedback. But I just want to let you know, you can take it on board. It's not, it's not about me being this guru. It's just that I've taken on board some things and I'm walking it out. You can do the same thing. Right?
So it's not about alone, <clears throat> being alone. It's about inviting teachers in. And so in this scripture, I'm just going to ask Jason to come as we finish. Paul explains that the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. He explains that it's a process more of ins and outs. Everyone say ins and outs. So God works in us while we work out. We have to work out. We have to work out, as in physically work out and spiritually work out, our faith. So it's a partnership involving God. Involving God. Everyone say God. Involving the individual believer. Say the believer. Involving teachers. Say teachers. And involving fellow believers. Say fellow believers. It's a process where God works in. We work out. Teachers work with. And believers work together. Let me say that again. The change process. The transformation process. The spiritual growth process. The ability to respond process. The opportunity to partner with God process. Is where God works in us. And where we work out our faith. And we exercise it. We look for opportunities to honor what we say we're going to do. Not just say and not do. Where we invite teachers into our life to work with us, to help us, to mentor us, to be coachable, to be teachable, to be trainable. And when we choose regularly, habitually, to fellowship with other believers because that actually is part of the change agent. It can be stated in a sentence, life change begins with God, is about training and not trying, and requires teaching, and it's a team effort. Let me say that again. Life change, taking responsibility, having the ability to respond, begins with God. It's also about training, not trying, requires teaching, and is a team effort. Verse 13 of that Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. Everyone say, life change begins with God. Verse 13, it says that. Ephesians 2.10 solidifies that. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Life change begins with God. Always begins with God. But life change is not just God by Himself. Come on, church. We have to respond. When I crashed that car, did I walk up to Greg and say, well, I know that you're a prophet and you believe in God. So I'm just going to pray that the God of heaven would miraculously come down and fix the car because I have faith oh Greg I believe I believe what would Greg have said to that the mighty prophet he would have gone not good 
he would have said, bad. You're not going past go and you're definitely not collecting $200. Life change begins with God. There's a whole other sermon there. His word, Holy Spirit. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, 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 continue to work, work, work out, work out, work out, work out, work out. Go to the stage. Work out. Work out your salvation. Life change is about training, not trying. It also is about requiring teaching. And it's about a team effort. I'm just going to ask us to stand as we finish this morning. This is what I want to do to finish. I want to share just this last story and then we'll close then we'll have nachos or nachos (laughs) sometimes the hardest thing in being a person who God's asking you to help people to change their life and in two angles Sarah and I are involved in this in ministry and also in the marketplace. We're called to help people to bring change. For those of you who don't know exactly what I do, our business specializes in helping businesses to transform their sales teams and their whole sales part of their organizations. Most organizations either die or are alive because of how well or how not well their sales force does great thing about what I love that we do is we specifically train salespeople on how to sell and get results but to be ethical I love that but the point is at this conference in Barcelona I had a room of 80 people of this one company and we had a particular workshop on discipline everyone say discipline and uh there were two words, two particular words that are about focusing on what you have to do to get a result and then the actual result themselves. And I won't mention what the words are. It's kind of sales industry jargon. That's not the point. But this is what's interesting. In a room of 80 people, probably 60 of them could speak English fluently. Another 20 could kind of speak English, but their first language was French or German or Spanish. And I had maybe two people who couldn't really speak English at all, and they had an interpreter next to them who were interpreting me most during this particular workshop on discipline, executing things to get results. And there was a moment in the workshop where I was defining these two terms. And I could see that some people at their tables were kind of talking to each other. And there was this kind of this resistance to just embracing these two words. And so I stopped the workshop and I said, hey guys, what's going on? 
And I had this person who put their hand up, who spoke fluid English. And this was their response. Underline the word response. Response. They said, you know, Brad, these two terms, they're a bit confusing. Um, and I think that's why we're not quite understanding. Can we, can we change... Can we change the <clears throat> can we change the, the terminology or can we can we change the words so it's easiest for easier for us to understand? There was a moment that I was going to buy into that excuse, and then I thought, hang on a second, that's an excuse because these are just two words, and in the workbook they're clearly defined, like a paragraph to define this one, paragraph to define this one. And I just put up this question. I said, thank you for that comment. I find it really interesting. But let me ask this question. Is there anyone here who thinks it's completely fine for us just to have these two terms and for us to run with these two terms based on the fact that these definitions are in the workbooklet? And I had this gentleman from Germany put up his hand. Didn't speak fluent English. And he said, Brad. Now my German accent's not great, but go with me. Can I please explain what, what I've done? I said, yes. And he stood up. He said, Brad, we were uh, told that the... I think I'm sounding Russian now. Uh, Brad, we were told that the agenda was going to be that you would do this workshop. This workshop was actually based on a, a whole book that Stephen Covey's written. Not Seven Habits is another thing. And he said, Brad, when the agenda came out four weeks before the conference, I went to the bookstore and I bought this book because, as you said, you could buy the book in any bookstore in the world. And I handed $20 and I got this book. And uh, I also downloaded the, uh, the digital version on my, my app. And can I tell you that uh, I have this here. And he pulls up on his iPad. He pulls up the whole chapter on these two terms. And he's highlighted in his iPad on this app all of the definition. And he said, Brad, to be honest, what this, uh, this thing is people saying here is just an excuse. I mean, the reality is, it was simple. I, I, I just wanted to understand, and I wanted to come here prepared. And I thought, you know what? I need to take responsibility, because my first language is not English. And even though you're a good trainer, Brad, sometimes, you know, you speak quickly. And I thought, if I pre, pre-do some study, and I take responsibility, uh, then I will have more results. And I've clearly understood coming into this workshop what the, the definition of this one and this one means. So when you did the training, I completely understand. So I'm sorry to any other peer here or colleague here, but what you say here, is just an excuse that evening the Holy Spirit said to me when you go back on Sunday the first Sunday you preach back at Forever House I want you to share that story he said because there are some people who need to hear that story he said because the story will illuminate where I've tried to illuminate for the last couple of seasons that there's something in their life that kind of does that. That gives them an excuse. Of why they can't take responsibility. Can I say this? I'm so in this same boat with you. We worship a God of the impossible. We know life's not easy. 
We know that life can be incredibly challenging. But the first key, one of the first keys to seeing change is take ownership. Take ownership of where you're at. Everyone just close your eyes. Beautiful God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the most amazing Father that anyone could have. You're such an amazing Dad. And Lord, we know that as we're standing here, there are some people who maybe have never had a great earthly dad or haven't had great father figures or parenting figures or certain things that have gone on in their life that may have hindered them or created some setbacks. But I thank you, Lord, that today, Lord, you are strategically releasing this word into our heart to again reinforce the truth that we are all called with the ability to respond. To respond to you, God. To respond to your grace. To respond to your word. To respond to your power. So in a fresh way, God, we declare as a people as a family, as a house. Thank you, Lord, that today we take responsibility of our life. And we are called, God, to move forward and to no longer make excuses for where we're at or for where we're not at. Because, God, with you, with you, Nothing is impossible. Lord, just release healing in this place. Lord, release your love. Release your love, God. I thank you, Jesus, for that example of talking to that man with love but love with conviction that it was time for him to pick up his mat and to walk thank you Lord that whatever that mat is we're picking it up today and we're walking forward Jesus my name Everyone said. Okay, let's just give God a clap offering here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.